Hello everyone and welcome to Dairy Pot. I'm Rory McDonald from the Dairy Australia Farm Team. Today we're looking at how genomic testing of heifers can save you money on rearing costs and fast track improvements in everything from milk production to fertility. Our first guest is Daniel Abernathy, who has been in the herd improvement game for more than 20 years, giving him a front row seat into the development of this vital but often misunderstood facet of the dairy industry. Now the genetics manager for Soetis in Australasia, Daniel is passionate about the opportunities that can be gained through genomic testing of heifers. Speaking with Steph Boland from Dairy Australia's animal health and fertility team, Daniel will run through the ways of genomic testing of heifers can be used, the steps you need to take to get started, and some examples of how the testing has benefited farm businesses. Steph started off by asking Daniel for a simple explanation of genomic testing. So it's a process of actually taking a, a tissue or hair sample and using that to run a genotype to create a DNA profile and essentially assessing that animal for its overall performance on key profit driving traits. Can you talk to me about how the farmers that you're working with currently are using genomic testing on their, in their farm businesses? Um, there's, a, there's actually a range of ways producers use it and we kind of learn all the time actually. It's not like we go and say, this is how you use it, and that's the only way producers use the data. Uh, first and foremost, it's about saying, I've got a group of, of heifers you know, in a given year, and I need a certain number as replacements. So looking at those animals and saying, right, if I genomically test those animals, I'm going to get a strong understanding of the underlying merit of those animals, and what animals do I want to retain as breeders, versus ones I don't. Yeah, okay, so just so I understand, Daniel, so we've got a, a farm that you know might have surplus replacements or they've got, they may not have surplus replacements. They can use genomic testing kind of in two ways. They can use it to determine which animals they keep to enter the herd and, and breed you know their future replacements from, um, and then you know potentially sell the, the bottoms either to export or to another farmer or something. But then the decision-making from genomic testing kind of continues through that animal's life. Uh, so if, yeah. They're, yeah. if they're, you know, even if they don't mm. have surplus replacements, the poorer animals mm. for BPR or fertility, you know, you might put a beef store in them, for example, yep. um, rather than keeping a replacement out of her. Is that, is that what I'm yep. hearing you say? Yeah, and, and so, that's, um, so that's another example. So that first example I said was a situation where a producer is not necessarily able to do um, any kind of significant level of culling. But you'll have those who are producing a lot of heifers and they have an excess. Uh, and in those instances, it can be, as you said, looking at the high merit animals as the breeders, looking at the low merit animals as uh, potentially an alternate income stream. They might be joined to uh, beef straws. Further to just selection, you can look at uh, genetic conditions for an animal. So we also provide um, genomic results for things such as uh, beta casein A2. Um, you can um, select to um, run a genomic condition test for polled, uh, a horn poll test. Uh, you can look at it for other uh, milk components. You can look at it for coat color. There are a range of other reasons producers actually look at information from a uh, clarified test result. So, you know, when we're thinking about genomic testing, Daniel, um, you know, you talked about looking for traits that might be of importance or of interest to your business. 
I'm very passionate about fertility and I bang mm. on about it all the time. If I was a farmer that wanted to improve the fertility of my herd, for example, how would genomic testing fit into what I was doing? Yeah. So first and foremost, in any genetic improvement program, you start with buying the best bulls you can. So there's a, uh, a significant number of bulls that are tested through the evaluation units that come up with high reliable results for all the key traits of interest. So step one, identify the traits you want to improve in your herd and buy the best bulls you can to achieve that outcome. That's step one. Then step two is genomically test the heifer drop from that season to gain an understanding as to the variation which exists in the merit of those animals. And even in, in top ranking high genetic merit herds, there is a significant range in the merit of uh, heifer drop in any given year. It can be in the order of 300 BPI or $300 difference between the top and the bottom within a herd. And understanding the variation is the key to using genomics. If there's significant variation, you can make gain. Mm. If there was actually no genetic variation, we would say, don't worry about genomic testing. There's no, there's no value in it. But we know there's significant genetic variation and you use the data to then actually make a decision. So in the case of fertility, A, buy the best bulls. Two, look at the range of high merit, high BPI animals within your herd and analyze the fertility of, of those animals as well. And look at uh, either culling, removing, uh, selling, um, giving some other life or future to the poor merit, poor fertility animals. Uh-huh. So uh, with the bulls, we're looking at buying high daughter fertility bulls. Um, you know, we typically say you want at least 105 um, ABV for daughter fertility. Um, and so we want to buy the best bulls we can. And then when we're looking at the calves or the females, the future replacements of our herd, we want to make sure that they're high profit ranking. So yeah. BPI is what we use in Australia, the balanced performance index. But you can apply further pressure to That's that group right. by looking at the daughter fertility of 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 the of the heifer group and then anything that's got crappy daughter fertility you can make a decision about selling or yep. joining to beef or essentially they're not going to have a future as a as a breeder of replacements in Correct. your herd okay that's right. yep. yep so daniel i'm hearing you talk quite a lot about sort of merit and um you know and the genetics of the animal um I'm I'm a i'm a farm based in south gippsland and i i don't worry about my genetics i just let my you know a semen seller do, deal with the genetics for me is genomic testing relevant for me is it just for people that care about genetics or has this got application for you know the average person that's just you know they just want to milk a nice cow they're not that worried about their genetics they let someone else look at it, look after it talk to me about how gen genomics might be relevant for me uh we actually had a producer day the other day one of the uh, the producers who we got to talk at that day wasn't a cow person and they openly admitted they're not a cow person. There's lots of producers who aren't focused solely on the cows. They might be more focused on the pasture side. They, they might, um, you know, they might have a, uh, a young um, son or daughter who, who looks after that kind of thing or they might palm uh, a lot of decisions off to their advisor. There's the tools there that can make decisions really easy without you thinking you need to be a cow person or you need to know multiple generations of pedigrees or you can make decisions really quickly, really easily. The filters you set can be saved. So next time you go in, you can look at the same group of animals. It's a very easy tool 
no matter what your level of affinity for data or cows is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's straightforward for the average, or not even the average, but it's straightforward for people that don't have a really good understanding of breeding values and breeding and genetics and things like that. It still is relatively straightforward to make some basic decisions about which animals to keep, which animals to sell, who to make to what potentially, and maybe if you want to specifically, you know, look at particular things like fertility or mastitis resistance, you can do that too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's right. And uh, and again, um, the level of detail that you want to go into is is completely up up to you. Uh, you still come to, back to that fundamental part of understanding whether the animal is good, bad, or indifferent, and then using that information to um, to make decisions and. You know, some some producers will, will, will use a line of, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring all my heifers into the herd. They're the best genetic merit animals. And I'll bring all of those in and I might uh, cull some of the uh, older animals. Now, whilst that statement is true on average, you know, as long as you purchase good bulls, on average, the heifer group will be of higher merit than other animals in the herd. But that's not the case for every animal. You know, every heifer is not going to be a genetic improvement on the herd. You're going to have a tail. Yeah, it's a really good point, Daniel. I've heard you talk about, you know, the cost of rearing a heifer and her return once she gets into the herd. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the industry estimates really vary, but it might be between $1,300 to $2,500 to get a heifer into the herd. And one of the things that we often think about with genomics is that we use it to make sure that if we're going to spend $1,300 or $2,500, that we're spending it on the right ones. Can yeah. you talk to me? You've got some really strong views on that. Can you talk to me about your mm. thoughts around that? Yeah, I, I do. And we've, we've analysed some of this in the US. Um, and we've done similar um, analysis in, in many other research projects around the world. And that is to break a herd up into quartiles. 25% groups um, based on genetic merit. So you've got the highest 25% based on genetic merit, the middle two groups, and then the lowest 25% based on genetic merit. And the analysis we did in the States uh, on commercial dairy producing properties showed that over half the low merit group, the bottom genetic merit group, over half of them didn't pay their rearing costs. Mm. So they were actually an economic burden on the farm. The producer would have been better off actually removing them and not even bringing them into the herd, making an active decision to bring in less heifers would have actually made them more money. By genomically testing, you, you, you're uh, enabling yourself to understand the future potential of that animal and making decisions early in that animal's life that's going to impact your profit. So if you can look at those low merit animals, make a decision early, you're not going to invest the fifteen to twenty five hundred or whatever it is to bring them into the shed. You're going to make a call early. You're going to actually save yourself money. So that's a near term economic benefit. A lot of things with genetics, you'll, people will be talking about long term investments, and that's what genetics is. It's a it's a long term investment on the underlying merit of your farm. But genomic testing gives you payoffs throughout the life of an animal or throughout time. The first payoff is I don't need all of these heifers. I'm going to sell some. So there's and that's a that's a turnaround that's you know within months. And presumably, there's quite a few farmers that are using that with export prices being as high. 
as they are at the moment. They, they certainly are. Um, that is one market that's providing a good economic return to producers. Um, but there are many other opportunities to drive returns. And so often when I look at that, I don't look at individual markets because individual markets ebb and flow. So there are many different ways of actually looking at economic return. And the first could be export, but it could be culling. It could be, I'm gonna keep those animals and join them to um, a beef program, or I've got a Wagyu contract, or I've got, uh, I'm actually setting up to diversify the income on my farm by actually saying, I'm now gonna have a permanent um, beef dairy component within my business that's gonna drive performance. And there, there are other benefits from doing that. And, and, and one of those is to say, okay, what if I use all of the different technology that is available to me? And even technology is probably an incorrect word because it, it, it implies there's um, a lot of, uh, you know, um, scientific uh, attributes you need to get your head around. But let me just paint a picture. And the picture could be, I genomically test my herd I look at the top genetic merit animals within that herd and I use sex semen in those top animals to produce the number of replacements I need. So you need to make sure you understand how many replacements does my operation need. So you apply that, you select the best, you breed those to AI, um, sex semen. Then you look at the bottom end and you apply a beef program so what, what comes out of that? You actually come out with a, a dual line of income, but you also significantly reduce the number of bobby cars on the farm. And I always like to look at, at genetics as one part of a whole farming ecosystem. It's one component of driving improved performance, but you can leverage it and add in all of these extra attributes. If you only rear the cattle you need, then you can treat them um, and, and maximize the investment in them by you know, your, whether it's your animal health program or your uh, growth rates, um, you know, using hef, um, uh, heifers on target, or you're looking at um, uh, your in-calf um, fertility focus metrics to drive improved performance. You really can focus and invest on those animals. Utilize the other animals uh, as, a, as, a, as an alternative income stream address things such as uh, I now uh, no longer have um, bobby calves on farm. And some producers are, are, are well down this path. In fact, our, our uh, very first client with Clarified, uh, longest standing client, they, had, they were thinking about this back in you know, the early teens, so 2013, 2015, and they've been running an operation that hasn't had bobby calves ever since. So we talked about it, it actually not being hard to do, Daniel. So how do you actually do a genomic test? Talk me through the process that if a farmer says, yep, all right, I want to see what I've got in terms of my heifer base, where do I start? How do I do it? In essence, what it's uh, about is taking a sample of an animal, completing a, uh, an order form, which links the sample to the animal. What sort of samples are they? Uh, you, you can use um, uh, hair samples, but more and more... Uh, the tissue sample units, uh, TSUs, are being used. It's a purpose-built sampling uh, system where you actually take uh, an ear notch um, out, of, uh, out of an animal. And if you can 
if you can put it in an ear tag, you can take a, a TSU sample. Yep. But it, it's basically the same. You've got a dedicated gun to take the, um, to take the ear notch. Uh, and that provides a, a tissue sample, which is purpose designed for genomic testing. Uh, and we have uh, very good um, uh, response rates through our lab in terms of the quality of DNA from, from TSU samples. Okay, so critically, hair samples, you're more likely to get contamination, I assume. So you might get you might get some results, that some animals where you don't get a result or something. Is that uh, what you're yes, saying? Yes, you yeah. can. Um, look, you can still do it, but that's where the technology started. The technology started with hair samples. And, it, it, and actually saying hair samples is an incorrect phrase, really, in that it's actually the hair follicle that you're wanting. That's where the DNA part is, the bulb on the end of the hair. Um, the challenge is when you go uh, to younger animals, the ability to get a decent hair sample uh, is more challenging. Gotcha, yep. Uh, the other uh, thing you mentioned is, is a potential for contamination. So uh, a sample that is wet has a potential of going mouldy the sample that might have uh, some manure on it uh, has a potential for becoming contaminated. The ability of getting enough DNA from a hair sample, uh, if the sample needs to be tested multiple times, it might have failed the first time through the lab, which does happen. Um, if there's not enough hair from the sample, there's not enough to retest. Gotcha. So, um, so you can do it well with both levels of technology. You just need to be really conscious of the way you go about sampling. Uh, but yeah, we, we, we recommend uh, tissue sample units or TSUs because of their ease of operation. Some producers do it and then apply the ear tag straight into the hole that was um, being produced from the tissue sample. Uh, well, I've seen some producers do it during disbudding or, or yeah, when they're uh, sedated or, or yeah, restrained. Yeah, yeah okay. yep, yep. yep. Uh, any animal husbandry practice uh, early in the animal's life, you can, you know, basically add Collect that to animals. the um, add that to the piece. And the other part, and we've seen this with some large herds who have, um, uh, yeah, a significant number of of labour units on the farm as well, is genomic testing will provide pedigree results for the animals. So that's a real benefit, especially for um, the task of mothering up. I mean, we've seen in the order of 15% misidentification of animals. So, I mean, there's a classic, you know, if you said, right, I've, I'm relying, I know I've used a good bull and that uh, calf came from that good cow and therefore I'm going to keep that animal. If that actually was actually misidentified, you've kept the wrong animal straight out of the box. Mm, yeah. So, you know, there's a 15% error rate before you even, um, you know, look at the uh, variation that even good animals produce. And that and that's the other um, interesting part. If you look at it, it uh, you know, even your own siblings, yet you are different from your siblings. And you'll say, okay, I'll get my height from my grandfather, but my youngest brother's, yeah, you know, a lot shorter than I am. So just assuming because your pedigree, your heritage is tall, doesn't mean every animal is going to be. So use genomics to give you the answer. It, it, it's like a, um, it's like a, uh, a, a ticket into the future that's there for the taking. 
uh, and it's a it's a relatively uh, minor investment when you consider all of the other expenses on a dairy farm and the cost of rearing an animal into the into the shed. Once you've collected the samples and sent them off to the lab, how long does it take you to get results back? Uh, good question. Um, so uh, just kind of uh, filling in the next step there, I suppose. So you, you take the sample and you complete uh, an animal information form that just has some details of the animal and links the animal ID to the sample. Uh, you send that off to our, um, our local offices and, and we, um, we have that uh, sample genotyped and we work closely with data gene uh, here in Australia to um, produce the results. Now, the results take um, around six weeks is about the turnaround time. That will vary just a little bit of uh, when the sample actually lands. Uh, the, the evaluations are run weekly, but if you kind of miss one week, it moves to the next. But on average, it's around six weeks turnaround. Uh, in terms of um, results, those results are then... Um, uh, updated weekly, but basically for the entire life of that animal and even when that animal departs the herd. So it's a reference point you can go back on a continual basis. Yep. Okay. So it takes about six weeks. So if, say if you have got an export order, for example, um, just making sure that you're prepared in advance. It might take six weeks for you to get your results back as an example. So don't do it two weeks before you'd need to, you know, before they're coming out to pick the heifers. Make sure yeah. that you make this decision early because um, you could get stuck. Um, okay, so once you get your results back, Daniel, um, wh what, what exactly do the, what are the results that we get? What, yeah, what sure. would a farmer see? Yeah, uh, just, just one more on that, on that timing. I mean, at the end of the day, and this is like any other decision on the farm, the earlier you know some information, the earlier you can make a decision. So irrespective of what's going on on the farm, we always encourage producers to test as early as practical because then you can start making a decision on that animal straight away. You've, you, you can start doing planning straight away. So and you can take the samples pretty much as soon as the calf hits the ground if you're using a TSU? That's correct. Um, in essence, uh, all you need is a DNA sample. Uh, so yes, uh, you can test uh, from Dale. Most uh, would probably do it around weaning, um, that kind of thing. Um, um, and uh, probably through to um, through to kind of that joining uh, time, but we always recommend make the decision early, get the results in early, then you can take time to to address any issues or make planning decisions about what you do with the data. Daniel, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you've provided some really wonderful insights into genomic testing. I think a lot of people have heard of gen the word genomics, but didn't really understand exactly what it was or what it could potentially offer for their business. And I think you've covered that really well today. So thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, and thank you so much for having me. Thanks to Daniel for sharing his wealth of knowledge on this subject. We thought it would be a good idea to get an on the ground farmer perspective on genomic testing and how it impacts on the farm business. Steph also caught up with Mount Gambier farm manager Shane Gardner, who has been getting great results by genomically testing heifers in his 250 cow herd. So Shane, we might begin, uh, if we can, with you just telling us a little bit about your farm. Yeah, we, um, we milk 250 Holstein cows here in the southeast, um, majority off pasture with irrigation through summer. We run a, a, a feed pad through winter when we need to. Uh, we calve twice a year and we breed mainly to Holstein. And you've been genomic testing your heifers um, over there at Mount Gambier, Shane. Can you tell me how long you've been doing that for? 
Yeah, we've tested, uh, started testing in the spring of uh, 2014. All those animals from then onwards have been tested. And from then on, we've tested every animal since. Wow. Yeah, okay. So you've got quite a bit of genomic data on those heifers. What made you decide to get started with genomic testing on your heifers, Shane? Originally, we decided to start doing it just to see what was under the hood, what, why we, what, what we were breeding for is what we were actually getting, making sure that we we're culling the right animals to what we thought, uh, and then to see what we could actually do going forwards. So it's really essentially about trying to look at sort of what the base that you had there was, Shane, and trying to make better decisions sort of with more information. For starters, it was to see what we put in is what actually was there, if that makes sense. Like we decided yeah. what we've been thinking we're breeding, breeding this, are we actually getting it? Then we realised, yes, we were. And, what, and then we realised what areas were deficient and we've started to try and correct those areas. So that's quite interesting, Shane. I, I didn't um, sort of preempt you with this question, but you sort of talked about, you know, wanting to make sure that what you thought you were breeding for was what you were getting. What, what were your breeding objectives at that stage? What sort of cows were you trying to breed for? Um, moderate stretch, uh, stature, uh, cows that got back in calf we were chasing heavily on the uh, health index, or now health index uh, traits. Daughter fertility was our real main one. It was harder to find all what we wanted back then. Um, that's what we were really chasing back then at the time. Shane, can you talk me through the process of genomic testing your heifers? How do you actually do it on your farm? Uh, we currently... The last lot we've done were hair samples, and that's just pulling hair from the base of the tail, putting in a little satchel thing and sending it off. We are looking to swap the tissues. It was just a, basically punching a hole through the ear and sending it through. They keep telling us it's more reliable, so we're looking to go down that path, and also it ties up some other tests as well. And was it hard to get started, Shane? Did you need much help, or you found it, the process pretty straightforward? We found it very simple. Um, basically, it was just pull the hair sample. We already sent our data in. We already heard tests heard. Um, so all that stuff, all those numbers and you know, national IDs are already done for us. We just do that naturally. Um, all that was pretty straightforward. It was a very simple process for us to send it off to the um, yeah, our supplier. They you know, got in the data vat and got that information from what they needed and it was all done. And at what stage are you doing that, Shane? Are you doing it when you wean them or when they're a bit older or when, when do you decide, decide to actually test your heifers? As uh, soon as practically possible for us. Um, we're trying to remove our tail uh, as, at... 200 kilo mark for our export market at the moment. So we, we're trying to get the information back as soon as we reasonably can. So we do it basically after week age, a week of, a week old. We find that the, if, by pulling hair samples, you get a little bit better at root follicle after a week. So we try and wait at least a week, but then we just do them as young as practically possible. Yeah, okay, that's great. So Shane, you just mentioned there, um, you know, that you want the data as soon as possible so you can make export decisions. Can you talk to me about what, what's the process you go through once you get your results back? Um, when we get our results back, we a, look at how many we, replacements we want for starters. So we want to make sure what we've got is what we need. Then we work at how many, how many heifers have got a chance to be culled. Then we look at the, the bottom of the index for us, which is the BPI at the moment. Um, and generally the bottom 10% we find a other 10% doesn't, they just are at the bottom. Almost, I think 95% of the people would agree with that on their own farm. It's the bottom's the bottom and they're easy. Then after that, we just keep working up the index and remove the cows to where we need to stop. And sometimes we might keep one a little bit lower just because of a family or whatever, or, or it's higher on the health index than the BPI, but they're 50-50 calls and other people can make their own decisions around that one.
So, so Shane, we might um, go back to the heifers now, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, you said that you, you know, you, you essentially look at the worst 10% on BPI and you might pick up a couple of others that are particularly bad or particularly good in various different traits. So those bottoms you're exporting mostly, is that sort of what the plan is for those tail enders or what do you actually do with the, the ones that you decide not to rear on for yourself? Currently it, it is export, um, which I'd like to change one day. And I think a few other guys uh, would like the same thing because some of these animals aren't, we, we say the word tail or cull and everyone presumes they're bad. Well, they're technically not bad. Like we're selling heifers now inside the top 2% of the breed and the only one really paying is the export, which is a bit sad. And so we'd love to be able to sell inside Australia for other people. They're just the lowest in on our cow population. Doesn't mean someone else can't do something with them. But at the moment, the export market's winning. So it's a bit disappointing, but that's just a reality, commercial reality. Yeah, absolutely. So Shane, are you using the genomic information for anything else? Like, do you look at their results again, um, you know, when it comes to mating time or, um, you know, is, or is it just sort of the, essentially the cull and keep decision-making at this stage? Uh, for starters, it's cull and keep at the start, you know, as, as they are at the 200 kilo mark. Then once they um, hit their mating weight, they do go through um, to our, where we join our cows from. And um, they use that information to breed the you know, next generation with the bulls we've selected. It just it helps against inbreeding because the parenting side is a big thing, I think, in genomics, understanding who the mum is and the dad is. That is like, you know, one of the most important things. Um, so we use a lot of that for the inbreeding side and protecting against hepatitis as best we can. And I like to look at the heifers as they enter the herd, just to make sure that they do what they say. That's always the fun part, seeing those heifers come in, going, yes, you were mentioned in the top, you know, bracket, and you still are in the top 10, you know, bracket, or you're performing the way genomics said you were. You know, you might be PIing quite well in herd tests, but you are extreme for ASI, you know, and then you might be low on daughter fertility and you are harder to get in calf. So it's nice to see that genomics keeps kind of picking them more than we could. So, Shane, I'm wondering if I can um, throw you another question, if you like. Um, if if you were talking to a group of farmers who were thinking about genomic testing, but perhaps hadn't sort of taken that step yet, what are some of the key tips or suggestions or comments that you'd make to them um, about your genomic testing experience and things that, you know, they might be worried about that you would sort of like to share your experience with them? Um, I think they just need to, personally. It's, you can remove your tail, which makes it a break-even cost exercise for us. That's, you know, self-funds that people always get worried about a cost. I think, you know, you can remove a few export heifers. That actually makes it a self-funding program. That's really good. I think some people get worried that they're going to get caught out sometimes, you know, what they thought was what was going to be. I say to people, you know, if they've asked me, you know, put your pride to one side, it's going to tell you. Um, and, you know, people, we all make mistakes. I've, I corrected parenting mistakes this morning, you know. Um, first thing I said to Holstein when I rang, I said, oh, ring up, you prick my pride. I'm ringing up because, you know, we've made mistakes. We've just got to fix it. Um, I think some people get worried that they don't think they're right or that they're, they're right. This will help you. It's there to help you, not to change, you know, why you want to do if you don't want to change, but it is another tool that helps you and it's quite easily self-funded as far as I'm concerned. That's awesome, Shane. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you joining us on the podcast. That's no worries. Thanks to Shane and Steph. It's an exciting technology for both farmers and the wider industry and will be fascinating to see what the genetic gains this leads to in the years to come.
As both Daniel and Shane say, genomic testing is easy and only costs about $50 a sample. So it seems to me like a sensible investment to ensure you're rearing or selling the right heifers. If you'd like to get started or find out more about genomic testing, visit dairyaustralia.com forward slash genomics or contact a genomic service provider. A list of providers is also available on the website. That's it for this episode. As always, you can find other DairyPod episodes on SoundCloud or subscribe wherever you find your favourite podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time, bye for now.